Amen. So last week, Pastor, we started a, a new series about wisdom. And as always, Pastor just did an amazing job. And um, so I, I was doing some research um, based on what we're talking about. Me and Danny, we're talking about contentment this week, about being content, um, which, which is something that we all struggle with and we all need to learn how to do. Um, and so the first advertisement that was ever aired was July 1st, 1941 at a Brooklyn Dodgers game. Yes, Brooklyn Dodgers. That's old school. Um, and it was for a watch. It was a commercial advertisement for a watch. And from 1941 to 1950, at that point, they found out that Americans were being exposed to 500 uh, advertisements about 500 times a day. Okay? So that advertisement launched us into where we're at now of just this commercial, consumer-based um, uh, culture. Now, we are being exposed to advertisements up to $5,000 or 5,000 times a day, um, which is an insane amount. Another uh, thing that I researched was uh, anxiety. And it turns out that today's youth, children, um, and, and up to high school, they, they asked them questions and they found out that they suffer from anxiety that would have put them in a psych ward in the 1950s. So that's what they're dealing with today. And they, they coined this new term um, that's actually a, a medical term now. Um, we all know it because I had it. It's called FOMO, the fear of missing out. Usually young children don't like to go to sleep at night because they think that when they go to sleep, the adults stay up and we throw extravagant parties that are full of candy and fun. And so they don't want to miss that. But we have a fear of missing out because we have so much technology and, and we could be somewhere with our families having a great time, and, and we'll get on our phone, and we'll see these people that post, you know, they're in Cabo, and we're like, man, that would be cool. I wish I was in Cabo. And so you're missing out on the beauty that you have in front of you because you're missing, you think you're missing out on what they're doing, not knowing that they probably went into debt to go there, but that's another uh, wisdom subject. Um, and so just that, that popped in, this popped in my head, but I was talking to my wife yesterday, and, and apparently I have it because she was, I was like, what would impress you? And she's like, if you didn't get on your phone when we were together. And so there's some transparency for you. So uh, the main verse that we're going over is Proverbs 4, 7. And it says, wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. And when pastor said that, I, I kind of heard this the one phrase, though it costs all you have, um, the Bible is, is, runs, I mean, it's everywhere within itself. And so what it made me think of was the rich young ruler that went up to Jesus and said, what do I have to do to be your disciple? And Jesus told him, we all know, Jesus said, you have to go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. You have to, it's going to cost everything that you have, everything you work for to come follow me. And so what that made me think is, is that, this says wisdom is supreme, get wisdom, or have, uh, therefore get wisdom and get understanding. And Jesus said to follow me, you have to sell everything you have. So Jesus is wisdom and understanding, and we need to do everything we can to get him and to follow him. And so um, that was just something that stood out to me, and it just made me, it just blew my mind how, how intricate every verse in the Bible is and, and how it's constantly used in different points centuries apart. Um, today, uh, we're talking about uh, uh, contentment, 
And Proverbs 14.30 says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. So it's not saying that when you're envious that you'll feel a certain type of way or that, you know, you might act a little different. It says that it roots itself. Envy roots itself in who you are, and it rots you from the inside out. And so I was like, man, I was like, how do we become content, right? Me and Danny were talking, and and he's like, what are we going to go over? And and I said, well, how do we become content? He's like, that's the question. Good question. And I was like, no, I'm really asking you, how do we become content? I don't know. And and he said, no, that's what we're going to unpack today. And so I figured that the first thing we need to do in order to understand how to become content is find out why we're not content. And so what I I found out was the enemy of contentment, and this is uh, in your notes, is comparison. We stop being content when we start comparing ourselves and the things we have to what others have or what we think we deserve. And so when I was thinking about this, I was like, man, pride. Pride will really stop us from being content. Um, Pride will make us start comparing because we go out in our society and we work. And, and even as Christians, not only do we work, but we come here and we give our time, you know, for the church and we volunteer and, and we're at church and we read and we pray and we go to small group. And, and so it's easy for us to say, God, I'm doing all these things for you and yet I don't have that car that this guy has. I don't have those things that this person has, but they're not doing what I'm doing. And so the, the sense of pride can fill us and cause us to shift our focus and, and become discontent. And because we start comparing to what we think we deserve. And, and so I, I, you know, I don't know how pastors did it back in the day because Google is my best friend when they ask me to give any message. I spoke at youth. I speak at the house. And Google is the way to go. But I looked up how many times pride is in the Bible. It's in the Bible 46 times and it's in Proverbs 6 times. And when you look at the verses that pride's in, it's never good. There's never a verse saying that pride is something that you should have and that's good. Usually right after someone or the nation of Israel or whatever is being prideful, you can see God's wrath. Like God punishes them. And and I don't mean like he's this big, bad, evil God, but he's our heavenly father. And when we're not doing what we should be doing, we we get rebuked for that. And every time pride's there, God's there like, no, humbling people. And so I was like, Man, that's crazy because I can be prideful. I I know we've all been prideful at some point, but it's never good. And so when we start being ungrateful because of pride, we're thinking that what we have is not good enough. We're saying, God, what you've given me is not good enough. I deserve more. And my question is, is who is it not good enough for? Because we're thinking it's not good enough in comparison to the world and what people of the world have and what people of the world cherish. And we're not thinking about is it good enough for God's mission that he gave us. See, God gives us what we need to glorify him and do his mission. You know, Jesus taught us, taught us to, you know, give us this day our daily bread. God gives us what we need to accomplish what he's asked. And so if we have that viewpoint, then we don't have to worry about this viewpoint. But sometimes we slip up and we look at the world and we say, God, what you've given me is not good enough to be great in this world. And we don't need to be great in the world. We need to be great in the glory of God. And so when we do that, we need to shift um, our, our viewpoint from, from the world to the mission. And, and as we continue on the same, I, I was looking and I was like, what's the other thing that discontentment uh, brings? And, and it's a focus on self. We lose the, the, the right focus. We focus on me. Um, 
But the thing with that is, is the folk, it's not about you. See, when we read the Bible, you can read any point in the Bible from Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created, to the end of Revelation. And you are not in the Bible one time. I've never opened up to the Bible and looked at it and read, and on this day, a handsome young man preached at Camelback Church, and it is not there, right? And there's a little bit of pride in that, because I'm probably not that good looking. But um, you're not in the Bible. We're not in the Bible. The Bible's not about us, but guess who's slewing all over the Bible? Every word, every page is about. It's about God the triune God, it's about Jesus, the Spirit, and the Father. They're everywhere there. You can find them in every verse, every period. They are filled in that Bible. And so we lose focus of that, and we don't see them. We see us. And so sometimes when we read the Bible and we're going through something, we forget. And so we read the Bible to figure out who we are, and we'll put ourselves in those prominent places. We'll be David, and we'll be Moses. But David and Moses were just lower Jesus. They are Jesus there, and we try to put ourselves there, and it's not about us, it's about the glory of God. And so when we remember that, we can change our focus from what the world wants to our mission as, as God's children. And the crazy thing that I, I was writing, and I'm typing, and sometimes these little things, like, I just start typing, and these little, I'm like, yes, that's cool. I realized for me that as Christians, specifically when we become Christians, that our life we're, like, if they made a movie about our life, you wouldn't even be the starring role in your own life as a Christian because Jesus has to have that place. Jesus needs to be the starring role. You would be one of the background characters in your life because we are here to lift Jesus up and to teach the world about Jesus, to show Jesus, and we're just a small piece in that. And so I, I really was like, man, the, the, when we become discontent, it's because we start focusing on, on us. And what we don't have or what we deserve or what I need or me, 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 and we can't do that. Um, one of the themes that you'll see in, in, in the New Testament, specifically in the Gospels, is a lot of people knew Jesus was like the guy, right? They didn't specifically know that he was the Messiah. They may not have believed that, but they knew he was a great teacher. And so they all wanted to be his disciples. You'll see that constantly. Pharisees and Gentiles were like, Jesus, what do we got to do to follow you? And in Luke 9, 23, uh, Jesus is talking to the, his disciples, but he says, uh, it says, then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So even then, Jesus told them, deny yourself. It's not about you. It's about me and my glory and my people, my church and my bride, and you have to take up your cross, not one time after you get baptized, but every single day you wake up, you have to take up that cross and you have to come do what I've been asking you to do in the love that I've given you. Even when they asked him what's the greatest commandment, he said, love your God yourself, or love your God um, with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and all your soul. And the second one was love your neighbor as yourself. So even in the commandments, you're not, you're not in there. It's not about you. It's about your neighbor and how we behave with others. Um, so... Now that we got discontentment, that we changed the focus from God to us, how do we become content? And so the, the first point that, that I, I was able to identify was, was we have to work at it. We, we're not going to just all of a sudden be content. We might be content for a time, but stuff happens, and, and we will become discontent again. It's part of the fallen world. And so the verse I identified this that I, I really was like, okay, we've got to work. 
how do we do that is in 2 Corinthians 10, 5 through 6, uh, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Now, that specifically, he's talking about something a little different, but it's the next part that I was like, wow, that could be used universally in our struggle as we walk with, with God and with Jesus. And he says, and we have to take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. He says we have to take every thought captive. We don't just tell that thought to go away, but we take it captive and we destroy it until it's obedient to Christ. And so if we're going to learn to become content, when we face discontentment, those thoughts in our mind, we have to capture them. And we have to take them captive and we have to destroy them. And we have to do that on an ongoing basis. We constantly have to work. The next thing that, that I, I thought, so we have to take our thoughts captive. And in that process, we have to continue to get closer to Jesus. That's, that's all we can do. We have to continue to purpose to get closer to Jesus. And that means that we have to purpose every week when we leave here, we need to be praying for next week. We need to be praying that our hearts are going to be open. When we go to small groups, we need to pray that in small group that we're going to be edified, that we have to pray for pastor when he's up here, that he's going to do what God has asked him to do. We have to be getting closer to Jesus and be ready to do what he's asked. Um, I listened, when I, growing up, I listened to hip-hop, to rap. Um, I loved it. I actually really love lyrics. And um, so God was able to, you know, bless people that love hip-hop with Christian hip-hop. And uh, I love Christian hip-hop. It's amazing. And there's certain artists that are actually pastors. They have the theology degrees. And, and so when they speak, they're, they're speaking straight from the Bible and they're putting in the lyrics. And my favorite artist is uh, KB. And he has one verse and, and he says, the higher that I go in grace, everything below gets smaller. And so the reason I put that in here is because we have to shift our focus to Jesus. And when we start thinking that we deserve things and that we need stuff, we have to be able to see what we have. See, and I'm not talking about the car that you have or the house that you have or the food that you have. I'm not coming at the angle because we've all heard it. Well, you know, there's people that don't have food or they don't have cars. We know that. But we have to see the things that we don't pay attention to every day. And for me, the biggest of that is grace. See, because grace is undeserved. See, we sin every day and we don't deserve to be forgiven. There's nothing that we could do to earn that. And yet it's given to us freely from God because he loves us. Um, and so as I was identifying these and as I was going through, through, through my notes and my thoughts, and I'm, I, think that the, I think that a lot of us in the church today, not in our church but in all churches, I think that we don't have a, a full view of grace because we have a small view of sin. See, when, when, we, when people face sin, we want to make them feel better. Absolutely. And so when they sin, we're like, hey, don't worry about it. It's just a little sin. Everybody sins. God will forgive you. But that's wrong. I, don't, I can't remember who it is, but someone said, there is no small sin because we don't serve a small God. Every sin is great and terrible against God. Now, when we identify sin and we realize that we're sinful and that we need God's grace, there, there are some people in the church because we have different denominations that I feel are Eeyore Christians. When I say Eeyore, I am talking about Winnie the Pooh, the donkey, right? And I've, and I've, I've seen them, and I've heard, I've, mostly on Facebook. You know, mo the people I hang out with are cheerful, and they love God. But I see them on Facebook, and they're, like, so depressed and, like, oh, I'm a sinner, and it's so sad, and they just, I can't believe God forgives me. No. 
That's not how we're supposed to be. We don't look at a small view of sin, but we don't look at the work of Jesus as small either. We have to, make, we have to meet in the middle. Our sin is small, but our God is greater. And he's, he's protected us from that. So I'm not saying, hey, carry this weight of sin on you because you're terrible. I'm saying understand that you're terrible, but you've been forgiven so that you can see the grace that every day you wake up and every time you sin, you see the grace that you've been given and you rejoice in it. And so that way you can start working toward contentment because then when you start being discontent, you'll be like, you know what? I don't even deserve to have a car, but I have it. Thank you, God. I don't deserve to have these things, but I have them because you're gracious. And we can walk in fulfillment of that. Um, and so when we start seeing that we don't deserve these things, we, we could truly live in it. And, and I'm one of those people that, like, I wish I could be perfect for God. I really do. I sin all the time, and I hate it. And I know that's part of, of the sanctification walk. See, Paul says that you start sinning and you don't know because you don't know God. But then when you know God, as you sin, you start hating your sin because it's, it's separating you from God. And that's part of the walk. And, and I always think, like, how could God continue to forgive me? And I realize that it's where we run after we sin. You see, I say Judas, right? And people are like, they shudder. Any Harry Potter fans in here? No? Okay. So... You don't say Lord, Lord Voldemort's name, right, because people are like, you don't say that. And we, I feel like we don't say Judas's name in here um, because it's bad. But then I say Peter, and everybody's like, hey, Peter's the man. Like, Peter, that's the guy right there, right? Peter and Judas did the same thing. They both denied Christ. See, Judas denied Christ and, and, and had him killed and, and for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, Peter did it to a, a teenage girl, to her face, while Christ was watching him. And so the difference between them is that Judas ran back to the Pharisees that he sold Jesus out to. He threw the money on the floor and said, I can't have this because what I did was wrong. And the Pharisees said, I don't care. We got what we wanted. You deal with that. Peter ran back to God. Peter ran back to Jesus, to his Savior. Jesus came back, and he faced Peter and asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? Three times Peter said, yes. And so we can be forgiven of sin because where we run matters. When you sin, if you run back to Jesus and you can receive that grace, that matters. And when you receive that grace, then you don't have to look anywhere else for contentment because that's not where we're content. We're content in Jesus. The, the last part that I'm gonna, I, I really want to go over real quick is uh, Psalm 73, 25 through 26. It says, whom, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. Uh, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And so as Christians, um, you know, we, we work, we want to be uh, holy for God, and we want to do the right thing so that we can end up, uh, end up in heaven one day, right? And, and we're like, man, we're building up treasure, and there's treasure, and we're going to have mansions, and there's gold roads, and it's going to be amazing. And that is not our goal. See, we're not going to heaven for, for the family that we've lost that we're going to meet there. We're not going to heaven for the stuff that we're going to get when we get there. We're going to heaven because we're going to spend eternity in the fullness and, and graciousness and, and the power of God. And so everything else will not matter, I promise. When you get there, we could, heaven could be a dirt field in the middle of nowhere, and you wouldn't know because the glory of God is going to compel you so much that you're going to focus on that, and that's going to be the only focus. And so we need to bring that back from us because when we say, oh, I'm going to have a mansion and there's going to be, I'm storing up treasure. No, I'm going to have Jesus, and that's what matters. And so when we start remembering these things, we can learn to become content. We can work at becoming content. When we, I start thinking about building up treasure, I could say, no, I need to start building up Jesus, right? And so heaven is not our reward. God is. So I'm going to end with this, uh, Paul. Paul is like 
the guy of the New Testament. He wrote most of the New Testament. He started out as Saul. He was a Pharisee, and he, uh, he was a smart, smart guy, very intelligent. And his, his teacher, um, whose name is, I'm sorry, I moved my notes. His name is uh, Gam- Gamaliel, was the teacher to get back then when Paul was becoming a Pharisee. And Paul knew the Bible. He knew the Old Testament. Every Pharisee knew what was going on in there. And Paul thought he was doing what he needed to do for God. He thought he was going at, he was going after these Christians that were blaspheming God. He killed Stephen the Levite, the first martyr. That was Paul, gave the okay to do that. And so Paul, when you're a Pharisee, you could go anywhere and people would give you stuff because you were close to God in their eyes. And so Paul had everything. And then one day he's walking on a road to go do what God had called him to do to kill Christians. And he was on the road to Damascus and Jesus came down and asked him, why are you persecuting me? And he blinded him. And in that moment, Paul gave up everything because we know from there he went to jail. He was, you know, he got shipwrecked. He was bitten by a snake. Like, he died in jail. Like, he did not live the glamorous life as the world would think. And he says in Philippians, he wrote a letter to the the church in um, Philippi, and it says, I'm not saying, it's in the letter, so we're kind of jumping in. He says, I'm not saying that this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And so the, key, the, the one thing is he learned contentment, right? He lost everything. He had everything. And yet he was always good because he always had him. And who is him? It's Jesus. And so whenever you read a letter from Paul or you read something that Paul wrote, in the middle of the letter, at some point in the letter or multiple, multiple times through the letter, he always points back to Jesus because it's all about Jesus. And so if we're going to learn to be content, we need to work at shifting our focus to the thing that matters most. Uh, and so uh, to give you the next couple points, Danny's going to come up. He's going to close it out. I just want you guys to know today was an uh, awesome day. I appreciate you letting me speak. And they actually let me have the cordless mic, which is like a big step in the church because usually only Pastor James and Danny had it. And so uh, I just felt really blessed about that. But... Hey, Adrian, you did great. I didn't even want to come back up here and uh, or come up here at all. I wanted him to finish it all. I'm like, you're you're on fire, man. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Adrian. So I'm gonna keep this going. We're just gonna right, jump right into this. So our third thing is we need God to be our source. To to understand contentment, to battle contentment, we need God to be our source. And if we look at at discontentment, it really isn't about stuff. The root of it, the the core of it, isn't really about stuff. It is about the voids that we have in our lives. And so when we look at things, we're like, we want this, I need this. And a lot of times we've heard this, that uh, we are born with this God-shaped piece in our heart that's not there. And so we try to put things in there to, to put in this void. So our discontentment really comes from voids that we have. And there is no content outside of God. When, when we see other people have other things and, other, and we want those things, we're trying to fill up those voids. But let me tell you, in order to get out of those voids, we need Jesus to be the one inside to, to fill those voids. You will always battle with discontentment until you let Christ be all that you need. Did you guys hear that? Let me say that again. You will always battle with discontentment until Christ is all that you need. 
We can't do anything else. We can't conquer this, this part until we figure out Christ is what I need. He's the one that there is going to be redeeming us, and he's going to be the one there who's going to be saving us. He's the one that's going to take us through all of our troubles that we're having. When we want something else and we think that we need, we're going to, once we have Jesus, we're not going to think that we need that anymore. And you know what? For all of us believers, a lot of us Christians, we've been there. We've been like, hey, you know what? I feel like I need something. There's something else. I've done things. I've done the drugs. I've done the alcohol. I've, I've done pornography. I've, I've gone to the best people to help me out with this. But there's still something there. And I'm tired. And I'm just, and I, I, I need something else. But let me tell you, don't give up. Because there is an answer, and the answer is in God. God is the one that's going to be able to get you through that. And, and as believers, we know this, and that's where we've been at. We've been there, and, hey, and a lot of us, that's why we're here now. So we've gone through this, and we've seen that, and we know that Christ is what we need. And once we make that decision that, hey, God's what I need, don't plug right back into the, the world and expect you're going to have changes that you thought you were going to see in Christ. Because now you're plugged into the world who is opposite of what God is saying to do. And so we're in there, and we're like, hey, why is things not changing for me? It's because you're not plugged back into the source. So now you're becoming discontent because the world is telling you, you need this, you want this. When God is saying, you don't need that, what you, what you need is just me. So don't, we can't go back and plug right back into the world because only God has the answers. We're going to look at Paul again. All, today seems to be all about Paul, right? Well, actually more about Jesus because Paul learned from Jesus. He seeks who Jesus is. And we're looking in Philippians 2, verses 12 to 13. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. I want you guys to say, work out with me. Work out. So in the Greek language, original Greek language in the New Testament, when they said work out, they're using this more as a word phrase. And they're, they're talking about like a mine and, and a gold mine. Because when you enter into a gold mine, you start a gold mine, you're at the surface, you're at the top. And that's where salvation in Christianity starts at because you have to start somewhere. And it's, it's good to start there, but not to stay there. And so when you work in the mine, the gold is much deeper, right? So we watch, God wants you to start digging deeper, and sometimes we're like, we see it there in the surface, and we're like, hey, God, nothing's changing here. Nothing is, I don't see you here with me anymore. Things, my life isn't any different. I'm still discontent because we're staying at the top. We're staying at the surface. But the real gold is down. If we just dig a little deeper, we're going to find God. If we get into his word, if we start to pray and seek him, we're going to find him. We're going to find that gold, right? Everything that we need and everything that we lack is found in Christ. Do you want to live a wealthy life, not, not of, of, of things? And 1 Timothy talks about this. He says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. As we start to pursue God, as we start to dig deeper, we look to him and his word. We start to pray. Prayer is powerful. Acts talks about how powerful it is. Start with praying. The Bible is not just a self-help book. It is power. It is powerful in his word. Our fourth one is life of purpose. To battle discontentment, to have contentment, we need to live a life of purpose. Paul talks about this again in Philippians 3, 12, verse 14. He says, not that I have already 
obtained all this. I don't know what Paul had thought about when he was little, what his life was going to be. I'm pretty sure he didn't think that he was going to be bringing up churches and building up churches and speaking about Christ and bringing and leading people to Christ, or even before that, being persecuting the Christians. Uh, I'm sure he had a whole bunch of other other thoughts as he was little, as he was dreaming about that his life was going to be. But he says, not that I've already obtained, uh, obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus t- took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to the prize, the, uh, to win the prize for which God had called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul had so much purpose, he didn't have time to think about and compare things with other people. His purpose, his goal was to reach people, to bring up nations to know who Christ is, to lift up people, to bring up churches because of who Christ is, because of what Christ had done in him and other people. So he didn't have time to say, I wish I wasn't in this jail. I wish the Romans weren't after me. I wish I didn't have to find other ways to get food and ask people, you know, as I go to churches to, to, to give me some money to help me out in my trials. He didn't, he didn't think about that. All he had was his goal. All he had was his purpose, and his purpose was in Christ, to bring Christ. Paul was living for something bigger. And so how do we live, how do we squash his comparison? We live a life of purpose, like what Paul was doing. Paul talks about his goals. His goals was always with Christ, to be like Christ and to share who Christ was. The wealthiest people on earth don't have the most. They just have the most purpose. When we have Jesus as our purpose, it will fuel us as we take on our adventures and on our journeys through our life. We all have a purpose. And when we have Jesus as the sole purpose, God's going to do amazing things with us. We get to live a life of redemption and redeemed because of what Christ has done for us. He doesn't look at us and say, you are are nothing. You are not worthless. But you are my children. You are knitted. Every fabric of you, he's seen and it was knitted. And you mean the world to him. You mean everything to him. And he says, you are everything and you have a purpose. And, And if you accept me and if you bring me into your heart, that purpose is just going to be fueled even greater. I have to brag on our dream team. Our dream teams are our volunteers. And they are really the rock stars here on our campus. And and they live for a different purpose. They look at, 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 at things that they do here. Like in Easter, we had over 800 people around this campus. And they weren't like, oh my gosh, we have to make more coffee now. They were excited that there's people here and they get to make more coffee and because their purpose wasn't because of the coffee. Their purpose was because of Christ, because of who lives in them. And here at church, we don't, we're not like, hey, you need to be serving because it helps the church, which it does. The whole main purpose is because now you can take that purpose and you can instill it in your families and in your friends and show them what the purpose is and who Christ is. That is what serving is all about. I love our dream teams. They're here so early in the morning on Sundays and, and getting things ready for all of us. They are just amazing because of purpose. The happiest people on earth are the most content. And when we find that, everything else just kind of just washes away, right? I'm going to leave you guys with just a little bit of wisdom. And as contentment fills me with life 
for my journey. So when we fill ourselves with Christ, our journey is just going to be amazing because we can just keep going with, with our purpose. Because our purpose is to bring people to Christ and let people know what Christ has done for us. Guys, I like to end with praying with you guys. This is almost like the best part of the service, to be able to pray for you guys. You guys, would you stand with me? Sometimes we, we live this life that we can't do anything because we see other people and we feel like we need other things. And some of you guys, maybe this is why you're here and you feel like there is something else out there. There's something that I, I, I need. And the, and the Spirit might be pulling and tugging on you right now. Maybe you need to re, reconnect with God. And maybe you've been living a whole life differently than normal, than you were once, and you did know Christ. So maybe you want to commit yourself to Christ. And this is the best part is you can do it now. Guys, bow your heads with me as I pray. Lord, we thank you for today, and we thank you for who you are and the things you do for us and do in our lives. God, as we leave today, we want to take this discontentment that's in our lives and fill it with you, and to be content, to you to be our source, to be our purpose. And Lord, sometimes we might walk away from you, but you're always calling us back. And we know that you will want us back. You're always pulling for us. You're always running after us. And if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer as well. And if, the, if you're asking God to be the, the purpose in your life to fill you, I want you to pray with this me. Everyone pray this with me. Lord, thank you for who you are. I, I, I am a sinner. And I fall short of you. I ask that you will forgive my sins. And that you be the Lord of my life. And I ask for your grace. Lord, I love you for everything you do for me. In your name I pray. Amen. Guys, as you leave today, I challenge you to, to, to seek God in this area, to help with this discontentment, to fill these voids, these things in your lives with Christ, fill with Christ. Because, man, living a life of happiness will only be there because of Christ. I love you guys. You guys have a great Sunday. And if you have prayed that prayer with me, I'd love to meet with you afterwards.